you have a Bible this morning, I'd like to turn your attention to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6. going to begin in chapter 6 with verse 17. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation we have who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner, forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made in high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I would like to work for just a little while this morning on an anchor for your soul. You may be seated. The Lord bless you. I think it would be pretty much agreeable to everybody that we live in a world today that is constant shifting currents, riptides, and all types of movable ways, shall we say. And that many have lost their moorings, their reference points. I was uh, reading in the newspaper, I think it was yesterday or day before, about with all of this that there's been in the talking about the plane that took off from Malaysia and uh, has been lost, I suppose, and uh, there's been an awful lot of talk. Well, a, a woman here over in West Palm Beach area, a year ago to the time that this plane has been lost now, a year ago, her son and, and his wife and son, or her grandson, in other words, were lost at sea. They had a 70-foot sailboat, and uh, they were sailing, I think, from New Zealand to Australia or vice versa, but right in the same area where they're saying that this plane went down and was lost. And uh, this woman was lamenting how that they have no idea what became of them, and uh, they have uh, had hope for over a year, and only to have their hopes constantly dashed away because everything has come back false. They have not been able to find the ship. They have not been able to find her son or his wife or grandson. And how that, uh, of course, this has been a terrible, terrible 
tragedy and a grievance to her. And then also uh, people connected with this airline and the loss that they are suffering of loved ones that were on that plane. And there are so many other similar types of tragedies uh, in the earth today, simultaneously going on all over, where people have uh, lost something valuable, something loved in their life. And whether it's been the ocean of the air or the ocean of the sea uh, that has swept away their loved ones, uh, the difference is, is little. They've lost and they've mourned and they have no hope, they have no idea where their loved ones are at. And I am thinking that there are so many things in life that we battle with and that many times things happen unexpectedly. That, that Job, his writings, he said that which he feared had come upon him. He tried to uh, take precautions about things. He would rise up early and he would pray for his children and his family. He was the high priest of his family. We don't know an awful lot about Job. And even in his time, those that he communicated with, that maybe you would call friends, contemporaries for sure, they spoke of those that were ancient. And so, you know, uh, we know somewhere in the neighborhood of 6,000 years of man's recorded history. How long the earth boiled, fried, baked, and stewed in chaos, we don't know that. Uh, we don't know that. But we know at some point in the beginning, God. And God began to speak, and he began to set things in order in the earth. And order means that God took control. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The very thing that mankind needs, the very thing that people need, the very thing that we need, is very often the very thing that we resist and that we, we revolt against and we rebel against. We need divine authority. We need the voice of order in our lives. We need to have that the Bible is teaching as an anchor to our soul or to our life. We need to have that reference point. We don't want to be. Many uh, pilots have said men of experience in flying. And just recently, another example, uh, right here in the Wellington area, they have an area where people have airplanes Instead of a garage to put their car in, they have airplanes, hangars to put their, their planes in. And they have an airstrip, and they fly in and out of their little private place. And, and the one man recently crashed and uh, died, and he had built that airplane. And a lot of people, you know, are concerned because they say these man-made, homemade, experimental aircrafts are dangerous. Well, there's a difference of opinion on that, but... This man was a very experienced pilot, very experienced. He flew for a commercial airline, and he had many thousands of hours of experience. And yet, 
he crashed, and he lost his life. There are, I'm trying to say, unexpected things that can take place in a person's life. Some things are fatal, and as many experienced pilots have said, you no doubt have run a stop sign down here at one time or another. Not on purpose. I mean, you just got overloaded in your mind, and and you, whoop, next thing you know, you went through, uh, you lost your focus, and you went through a, a stop sign or a red light or something of that nature. And uh, many experienced pilots have said, down here in the roads and the traffic laws, once in a while, occasionally, you can run a stop sign or a red light, and you can get away with it. Not meaning that you're trying to beat the police. I'm talking about you get away with it, not having an accident, not dying. And But he said, you can run a stop sign up there. And that's a whole different story. And you're probably not going to get away with it. It will probably wind up being your death. Tragic. And there are, I'm trying to say, there are so-called stop signs in life. There are warning signs in life. There are signals or tokens that are given. And we, one place uh, even use the word check, the check of my spirit. A warning, the word admonition is in the Bible. It's a warning upon whom the ends of the world are come. That's us. We're living in the time of the end. We're not living in the beginning. That would be Acts chapter 2. That would be when Jesus had sent them to Jerusalem. And there they were to wait in the beginning for the promise of His Spirit. It was to be the beginning of the church, the body of Christ. And people were sent there just like you and I. They were the 12 apostles. Well, 11, and then they got the 12th one when they gathered together. And then there was the devout women, Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, his flesh, that is, and the other devout women, some of them kinfolk to Jesus in the flesh on his mother's side. And there were others who are just generally in the number of the names that were there, about 120. They got there because they obeyed what Jesus Christ said. But there were about 380 more that were in that number originally that they didn't heed the voice of the Lord. They more or less stopped up their ears. Their minds shut down. And they decided that they weren't going to do what Jesus said. They weren't going to heed the word of the Lord. They weren't going to be obedient to what he said. The powers of their rationalization of their mind kicked in. As one individual said, well, I've got to go check on my farm. Another guy said, well, I've you know, got kinfolk and i got to see about them or something of that nature. Another uh, one, my merchandise and my business. Everybody seemed to have a rationale. They had an excuse. And they went about different ways. Whatever rationale kicked in about 
above 380 people did not obey the Lord. And nobody likes to admit, I'm not obeying what he says. I'm not going to do what he says. Nobody likes to really admit that. They're smoother about it. They rather come up with some little phrase or words or, as one man said, I'll hear thee in a more convenient season. Almost you persuade me. Almost you convince me. But, you know, right now, you know, it's like the individual that told the Lord in the days of his ministry. He said, um, where do you dwell, Lord? And the guy, no doubt, had in his mind, you know, big house and a mansion and something really cool and in his mind. And the Lord said, hey, the birds of the air, they have nests and the foxes, they have holes. The earth in the ground. And he said, but me, the son of man? He said, I have nowhere to lay my head. But come and see. Come along. Go along with me. We'll see what will be provided for this day. And, you know, it's like the guy said, um, you know, I'll follow you. I'll go with you. But you know what? Something's come up. Suddenly realized that um, this is taking place and the other is taking place. And I've got to go see about that. Got my little rational. Got my little excuse. And it, it sounds smooth and it sounds acceptable. Sounds reasonable. Surely you understand, Lord, why I can't do what you're telling me to do. And our minds are very powerful. And we can really mount up quite a defense. We can figure out, we can explain away why I can't lift my hand. Why I can't, in doing that, surrender to you, Lord. Why I can't pray, not my will, but thy will be done. Why I can't submit myself and subject myself to your word. We come up with some really doozies, let me tell you. And we, we you know, uh, we get to convincing ourselves of what we've put together you know, in, in our thinking, in our mind. And our minds are very powerful, as I said. And yet, uh, all the while, it is written, God knoweth your heart. God knoweth your heart. And God knew that about 380 that they just really didn't want to pay the price. They just, there was something in them that would not break. There was something in them that would not submit to him. Whereas about 120, now those are the folks that you continue to read about. Those are the folks we still preach about. Those are the folks that we admire because they went forward. They heeded, as it is written, take heed to what you hear. And they said, we're going to heed what the Lord says. We're not going to listen to the gossip. We're tuning out the rational thinking of human spirit and mind. We're going to recognize that those are just excuses. We're not going to pay that any heed. We're not going to pay that any mind. We're going we're gonna to take the word of the Lord at face value. We're going to do what he says. We're going we're gonna to quit messing around and playing around and 
we're going to quit using our powerful minds to find a way out. Instead, we're going to turn around and find our way in. And so the 120, they heard the Lord when he said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And they went to where he told them to go. They gathered together. They began to lift up their hearts with their hands. They began to pray. And not just for a little season, but they put in seven days of prayer, praise, and worship. They put forth a tremendous effort. And suddenly, the Bible said, there came a sound from heaven. I tell you, if you put in the effort, if you hang in there, God's going to come through. God's going to come through. He doesn't always come through like you and I want it. And I admit to it. I'm chomping at the bit many a time. <laughs> I'm just, come on, Jesus, you know. And, I'm, and I prayed that way. You know, one preacher heard me praying one time, and he said, I got me a new one. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> well, and whatever, you know. You get inspired. You get in the spirit. And you, you begin to talk to God. You get away from your human spirit. You get away from what I want. And you get into that realm of what he wants. Because you know, what he wants is right. You trust him. You put your faith in him. And that's what they did. What an example they gave to us. They had jobs. They had hobbies. They had pastimes. They had family. They had friends. They had interests and pursuits and ambitions. All kinds of things. Distractions. Oh, they had them. And they had their irrationals. Yes, they did. They, they had them. They had their battles to fight, just like you. They had a mind, just like you. People think that people in those days were ignorant. That's not true. We have people here this morning that speak multiple languages, and I hope that the children get raised to speak multiple languages. It's of great advantage out here in this workforce that you compete in and uh, makes you more valuable. I tell young people all the time, start the job at the entry level and apply yourself. And as you go up, as you learn, as you advance, you become more valuable to the company because you know it from the ground up. And so don't feel put down when you go in at the ground level, the entry level. You know, I, I worked at a bank one time when I first came in the church. God gave me a, a good job. And uh took a while. I had to qualify myself, but eventually the Lord opened the door at just the right time, and he gave me a good job. And um, But I went in an entry level. I, I worked at the bottom of the – it was a huge building right down in Miami and a skyscraper. And I was in the basement, friend, literally. I, I worked in what they called the coin uh, department, and, and I had big bags of coin, and I had to put them on a cart and carry them to the tellers down the line and pick up negotiable things and take them to the money room and all of that stuff. And, and I started at the bottom. I was a low man on the totem pole. I promise you the janitor made more money than I did. But that was all right, you know. And God began to bless me. And as God began to bless me, he began to advance me, you know. And he advanced me to the point to where, and then he put the brakes on. 
And he moved me from that job to something better, to something else. And, uh, but, you know, I could have doubted God. I could have, I could have complained. I could have railed. I could have just quit on everything because I lost my job, you know. But I didn't cry. And I, I, God gave me grace. And I just knew you've got something better for me. As Job said, when calamity hit, friends, and when the servants came back and one after another and said, I alone have escaped to tell thee. All your camels are gone. All your donkeys are gone. Another one comes and gives them another bad news and another marauding group of, of uh, people and army and barbarians had come and stolen something else away from him. And then, and then came that servant that said, a terrible wind has come, a hurricane, and it has knocked down the house where thy children were eating dinner and feasting. And they've all been slain. One bad word and news after another. Job having said, that which I feared, I prayed. I talked to you, God. I asked you to take care of them, to protect them, to forgive them. I interceded as a high priest. And yet, I tried to get ahead of this thing. And yet, that which I feared has come upon. And now I've got to listen to these miserable comforters telling me what all I did wrong. And, and now I sit as I have been smitten, even physically afflicted. I don't feel good. And I, I'm, I'm sitting here in, in ashes and sackcloth. and I'm mourning and I'm miserable. My family is gone and all my things, blessings in my life are taken away and suddenly evaporated and and now my health is, is failing. And then his wife <laughs> rises up. Him, she who is supposed to be my helpmeet. She is supposed to be my encourager. My wife and I, every once in a while, you know, we'll tell each other, hey, be nice to me. I'm your best bud. And uh, we laugh about that. We laugh about the truth of that. And so here's Job. Everything is beating him down. And then his wife has to jump on the bandwagon too with both feet. Why do you try to maintain your integrity? Why do you still believe? Why don't you just quit church? Why don't you just quit God? Why don't you curse God and die? <laughs> Thanks for the encouragement, honey. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, when it's nice to have a balance. And sometimes balance comes by supplement and complement, you know. And so when one is down, let the other one be up, you know. And uh, hopefully when one is sick, the other one's feeling pretty good. And uh, so on and so forth. But unfortunately, he was down and. She just groveled right down there with him and jumped on him and made bad matters worse. There was no encouragement in her words. There was no comfort. There was no help. There was, there was no, you know, simpatico. <laughs> I'm, 
I'm, I'm feeling your pain. You know, I have a feeling he was like, I'm not feeling the love. <laughs> not feeling it. And, uh, and so, but he, he maintained his faith in God. And you know, it's important in this world of shifting sands and seas and landscape and events and calamities and wars and rumors of wars that we maintain our faith. That we realize that we have been given an anchor for our lives. Something that will keep us what did it they often you know lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me to that which anchors my soul. Lead me to that which lifts me up above all of the, the, the din and the clamor, the angry, loud talking and arguing. That's what clamor is. And that is a Bible word. Lift me up above all that complaining, that arguing, that negativity. Lift me up above that, Lord. Let me rise above that. And let me hear your voice. Let me take heed. Wherewith shall you cleanse yourself? By taking heed unto the word of the Lord. How can I get out of this terrible situation? It wasn't by cursing God and dying. It wasn't, it wasn't by railing against God. You know. I got news for you. In my life, Next to my wife, my best bud is Jesus. He's my friend. He's my God. He's my helper. It's him in whom I trust. He pulled, I have to look once in a while and remember the horrible pit that he pulled me out of. And the sin that he frankly pardoned me of and forgave me of. And the blood that washed me clean covers the doorpost of my life. And when the death angel comes through, I remember my pastor telling me of a dream and that in the dream he was going down corridors, going down corridors, one after another. And he said he came down one and all of a sudden, right there, in the dream he saw the death angel. And he went, oh no! And he said, he rebuked the death angel with all that was in him. He rebuked the death angel because the death angel had come for somebody in the church. I want you to understand that God has given us all power over the power of the enemy. God has given us beautiful and wonderful promises as it is written, wherein God, willing, God was willing. Isn't that nice? Don't you think we ought to take his example? Shouldn't we get a little bit willing here? Shouldn't we get our stubbornness under our feet? Shouldn't we deal with this flesh that Paul said, in it dwells no good thing? Shouldn't we try to move towards getting in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, Talking in the Spirit, singing in the Spirit, worshiping in the Spirit, you know? You know, it's easy to get lazy. The flesh 
by nature is lazy. It's easy to get lazy. It's easy to just, you know, or just easy. It's easy to just, we can talk. Oh, get on the phone. I see people, I tell you, it's a wonder. I saw a guy one time, I think I told you, he worked at the cleaners. And he would bring the plastic bag down to put it over the clothes, you know. That took two hands. So he took a rubber band and put it around and held the phone to his ear. I'm telling you, I saw that with my own eyes. And he turned around, he saw me looking at him, and he cracked up laughing. <laughs> I'm telling you, I have, I have seen it. We can talk, friend. Oh, we can talk. Talk about motor mouth. 327 Hemi motor mouth. Yeah. But when it comes time to pray and talk to God, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Quite amazing. <laughs> Quite amazing. And sometimes that's because you, th you think your expectations you think God's expectations of you are that you got to say some big, important thing. You know, help me. That's not hard to say. What did David say? I'm poor and needy. Not hard to say. I want to be saved. Not hard to say. I want out of my horrible situation. Not hard to say. God just wants you to talk to him from your heart. From your heart. Not the pump right here. The seat of your thoughts and your intellect and your emotions. God wants you to talk to him. He wants you to do that. I'm confused. That's right. Tell them that. Tell them that. You know, prayer is very good therapy. Now, if you want to go to the psychologist or the psychiatrist and you want to pay a bunch of money, hey, that's your free will choice. You, know, you got that much money to throw away, go ahead. Okay, And he's just going to tell you, sit there in a the chair, lay down on the couch, and I'll sit here and you just... Talk to me and tell me, you know, and you'll do it. Blah, 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 and blah, 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 And he'll pat you on the back and take your money and send you down the road. You'll feel better because you talked. Well, I've had people come, and they didn't want an answer. They just wanted to unload. They just wanted to back the truck of their life up and dump on me. Okay. Uh, we had, my wife was sick one time, and um, one of the children came by, came in all mad, and there she is laying in the bed, and proceeded for 15 minutes to just rant and rave. And then, big smile on his face, turned around and went out so happy, and she's laying in the bed, <laughs> sick as a dog, and he just dumped on her every kind of thing, you know? Oh, boy, he went off feeling better, though, you know. 
And sometimes that's how we are. But I'm trying to tell you, that's how prayer can be. And God has very big shoulders. And you can tell Him anything. You can dump anything on Him you want. All you need to do is come get honest with God. And it's great therapy. You will go away feeling much better. Most especially when you come believing. You come believing. And then it went on to say, he that believeth, or he's that, he that is believing and is baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, subject matter, shall be saved. Because that person that comes believing proves that they're believing because the Bible tells you to be baptized in Jesus' name. And you do it. Don't say you're believing because he that believeth and is not baptized shall be damned. So there's no point in saying I believe and you don't do what it says because it's a contradiction. If you're believing, you do what he says. And he says, I want you to repent of your sins. I want you to tell me you're sorry, and I want you to turn away from that life of sin. And I, I want you to be baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ. And then I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit. And you'll be born again of water and of the Spirit. You'll be saved from sin and darkness and bondage. And I'm going to give you an anchor for your soul. I'm going to anchor you. Some people are afraid to try to live for God because they don't think they can do it. Well, I will tell you, you can't do it by yourself. But with Him, the Bible said all things are possible. That He can take a miserable, lost person like me and save me. He can do that. He can do that. He can, he can do that. He has taken many people who had the Bible outlines and highlights their weaknesses, their foldables, their proved, highlighted their, their fallible ways, their mistakes. And God saved them. God delivered them. God changed their lives for the good. He did that. Because God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise. Do you know that when you have, you have something being offered to you, you are being offered to become an heir, an inheritor, an heir, and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. All of the heavenly Riches and blessings of God's kingdom is being made available to you. And Jesus simply said, like one man said, my, my, my daughter is at home and she's dying. And Jesus said, only believe. Two words, only believe. 
And that's just like Jesus saying, you say to Jesus, I have sin in my life. I have anger. I have bad temper. I'm, I'm confused. I'm upset. I say things wrong and I do things wrong. And he's saying, only believe. Well, then I think you should do what representatives of the whole known world at that time said. They said, what shall we do? Only believe. Okay. Only believe what? What shall we do? And that's where God's church, the only church that Jesus Christ ever built and started, spoke up and answered that question. That represented man's universal cry for help. And then Peter, speaking by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, gave the universal answer. Repent. Only believe. Believe what? Repent. Because Jesus said, except you repent, you shall perish. You've got to repent. And so, that's what we have to do. Repent. Repent. And that's what everybody has to do. And as we do that, then he went on to say, be baptized. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the full pardon, the forgiveness of all of your sins. And he said, and you shall receive the gift of my Holy Spirit. I'll send forth my spirit into your heart, crying, speaking through you, Abba, Father, I'll be your father. You'll be my son or daughter. I'll be your God. You'll be my child. What a great and glorious opportunity is afforded to us if we'll only believe. My daughter lies at home dead, dying. And then here came the servants and they said, forget it, don't bother the master, she's dead. And the Lord looks at him and said, said us now that I not, said us now thou not that I said unto thee, only believe. Only believe. And down to the house they went. And Jesus looked in on the situation. Now Jesus is looking in on your situation. The Bible said, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And he said, You have only to open the door. Open the door. Don't fight me. Don't resist me. Don't take two-by-fours and nail it across. Don't take ambitions and pursuits and personal wants and desires and nail them across the door of your heart. Don't do that. Don't do that. He said, open. Open the door of your heart. Don't slam it shut with unbelief, but open that door. He said, then I'll come in. And the beauty of it is God brings the groceries when he comes in. He brings everything you have need of. He wants to have that kind of relationship with you. 
I'll sup with you and you'll sup with me. Oh, friend. Jesus looked in on the situation and they, he said, she, she's not dead. She's sleeping. I told somebody not too long ago, I said, I'm Dr. Feld. And I know the symptoms of what I'm looking at. My wife and I were riding along yesterday, and I called one of the young people in the church in Fort Myers, our church there. And I said, I'm Dr. Feld. I said, I'm just calling in, doing a little, paying you a little visit, looking at your chart, checking on your spiritual vitals, see how your temperature is, see how you're feeling. They thanked me, and they laughed, and, you know, I dropped a few little words of advice about some things and moved on to the next call. Oh, yeah. Jesus looked in on the situation. Dr. Jesus knew the symptoms. He said, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. Oh, they fell on the floor. I heard a preacher tell one time, He's backslid now. He got a little too exalted. Well, he got exalted. And a little, a little ex exaltation is too much. <laughs> well, they say enough. Somebody said enough is enough, and somebody else said enough is too much. And uh, you got to stop just short of that. <laughs> and uh, so he was feeling a little lifted up, a little exalted. And an elder, elderly preacher had told this group of preachers, of which this one young man, exalted young man was in the group and the elderly preacher said well I thought I was giving you leadership and said that young man started going what are you kidding and he fell on the ground in front of all the preachers laughing hysterically saying you thought you were giving us leadership mocking mocking it's no wonder he's backslid today they they laughed Jesus to scorn. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. No wonder Jesus said, there's one that stands among you whom you know not. You don't know who you're talking to. Like the woman at the well. He said, if you knew who you were talking to, <laughs> you wouldn't have any problem asking me for all the things that are in your heart that you want. Because if you knew who you were talking to, you'd know I've got the answers. You know I could you would know that I could supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory. Didn't say your wants. He said your needs. And uh, Jesus said, you know what? We're going to have to move some of you folks out. And the mockers. Day of Pentecost, they were mockers, weren't they? They said, these men are drunk. Well, you're talking about misdiscerning the whole thing. Here's the outpouring of God's Spirit for the first time, for whosoever will. And these about 120 are rejoicing. Their hands are straight up in the air. Their mouths and heads are thrown back. Their mouths are open, and they are speaking forth in languages that they did not naturally know how to speak. 
They are glorifying God. And these people are mocking, ridiculing, making fun. And that's what these people totally, thinking they know so much and they're so smart, misdiscern the whole thing. They misanalyze the whole thing. And they put them out. And Jesus took the parents and a few of his trusted, loyal, faithful, proven disciples with him. And he simply took the young girl by the hand and spoke the word and raised her up and presented her to her parents and said, you know, she looks a little hungry. Give her something to eat. Probably give her some Jewish penicillin. You know what that is? Chicken soup. Chicken noodle soup. And do you know there was an article in the newspaper just a day or two ago and said that uh, the physician, the doctor was asked, the researcher, is it true that there's any qualities in chicken noodle soup that can take care of maybe a common cold? And he said, yes, we've done studies on it. And he said, there is. And he named and used certain terms that, you know, are technical jargon terms in the medical field. And uh, uh, saying that, yes, that, that, and that's why chicken noodle soup is often referred to as Jewish penicillin. I guess it will cure what ails you <laughs> if you have the flu or the cold or whatever, something along those lines. And uh, I'm going to tell you something. I've got something better than chicken noodle soup, and I like chicken noodle soup. I like chicken noodle soup. But uh, I've got something better. I've got something that you might be sitting here saying, man, I don't like chicken noodle. i got something better for you. i got something better for you. Because there's nothing wrong with anybody but what a dose to the Holy Ghost will cure it. It's all you need. All you need. You don't, I know, I know you think you need, but you don't need a new pair of shoes. Just look in your closet, ladies. You don't need another pair. No, you don't need another pair. If I ever get lost in my wife's closet in the dark, I'm in trouble. Because I'm, I'm tripping and stumbling over shoes left and right trying to get to the bathroom, you know. I've got to go through the closet to get there. And I know it's a crazy configuration, but the house is a very old house, and that's the way it was built, can I say. And, uh, but, but you don't need another pair of shoes. You don't need a new dress. You don't need, let me tell you something. It's an old saying. People are buying things with money they don't have to impress people that they don't know. Okay? <laughs> and that's just the truth. That's the truth. You don't need that. I did say need. You don't need that. Am I against you getting a new pair of shoes? Definitely not. I tell Marvin all the time he needs a new pair of shoes. To go along with a few other things he needs that I'll definitely be supplying him with. And <laughs> no extra charge either. And uh, uh, he's a work in progress. Don't worry about it. So are we all. But uh, to, to realize what we need. One place in the Scripture, and boy, it hits me loud and clear all the time. It said you have need of patience. 
And I'm like, guilty, guilty, <laughs> guilty. I read a scripture the other day, absolutely rocked my world and comforted me to no end. And it was way over in the morning. I woke up, I couldn't sleep, so I sat down and turned the light on and started reading my Bible. And uh, came across that scripture that said, patient in tribulation. And I went, uh-huh, thank you, patient in tribulation. You know, sometimes the heat gets turned up. Sometimes you find yourself, what, you know one place in Isaiah, it said, glorify ye the Lord in the fire. Think about that. When the heat gets turned up, when the Hebrew children found themselves in the fiery furnace, they didn't panic. They had already told the king, we're not careful to answer you. We're not anxious. We're not stumbling. We're not... We're not stuttering. We're not tripping over our words. We're not at a loss for what to say or do. All our training is kicking in right now. You know? They put pilots through simulation. They put them in what looks like an airplane. And in every way, all the instruments, everything. But it looks like actually a little ride that you ride at Bush Gardens or something or one of those parks up there. And it's in a room, in a training room. And they put them through all kinds of uh, simulations of going into a crash. They do that to train them how to get out of the crash, how to avoid the crash, how to what levers to pull and what buttons to flip and what their immediate, spontaneous reaction should be without even having to think about it. They have to put in hundreds of hours of simulation training, all logged in a book. Because you know what? <laughs> when it goes wrong up there, ain't time to be thinking, uh, uh, gee, oh, I wonder what to do. Let me call mom. No, no. There's no time to call anybody. <laughs> you know you know how it is, right, boys? Mom! Uh, there ain't no mom right now. Now, I'm going to tell you again, I, I was coming home uh, on the old road, and boy, I think it was about the last time at night I've come home on that road. And my wife had been carping at me left and right. She didn't like that road. And I'm like, 40 years, and we've been traveling that road, girl. What's the problem? Oh, there's a canal on this side and a canal on that side. Yeah, I said, they're pretty. I like them. She said, no, we're going to crash, and we're going to be in it. And I said, no, no, no. Well, yes, yes, yes. That night, somebody, probably their little pickup truck, lost a big part of a tree. They must have cut the tree down, probably with a chainsaw, and they were hauling it off somewhere. And that big hunk of log fell off in the middle of the road. And as you know, that's a two-lane road, and there ain't nowhere to go. And I'm coming in, being a very safe driver that I am, and, um, you know, speed limit's 55, and I was close to 55. And I'm zipping along, and it's 10 o'clock at night, and it's dark, and there didn't happen to be any moon that night. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to get home. And uh, I saw, and the headlight caught it. I had the brights on. And I, I saw, and I said, oh, man, it looks like somebody dropped a cardboard box. Okay, no big deal about a cardboard box usually. I mean, there's always debris on the road most of the time somewhere along the line. And you usually discern, is that a paper bag? Is that just a Winn-Dixie bag blowing in the breeze? What is that? 
And, I, and then I thought, oh, no, you know what? Somebody must have dropped a little piece of carpet. That's what it looks like. And then I hit that thing. It was like hitting a, a rock wall. And I mean, it knocked the truck fishtail one way. And I grabbed that wheel, and I didn't say, Mom. I said, Jesus! <laughs> I did. And, and, and uh, that vehicle had swung all the way fishtail the opposite way, and I felt the car, the truck, begin to flip. And when I screamed, Jesus, that car just straightened out. And I came back in line, went straight on, rolled over that log, tore the bottom, <laughs> tore the bottom out of that truck, man, I want you to know. And uh, thank God for insurance because they paid for it. But uh, they couldn't have paid for my lost life because <laughs> I was very close. And uh, that was, of course, the end of riding on that road, especially at night. Usually I'll let somebody else drive me once in a while in the daytime. But uh, otherwise, we're on the four lane, and that's where you belong, on the four lane. And I always tell these young boys, you can't drive like I drive because you haven't been driving as long as I've been driving. You know? Okay, so remember that. So you obey the rules. And I'll try to obey the rules. Amen. I tell them sometimes, close their eyes, because I've, I've sat at that red light long enough out in the middle of the boonies. And I've looked every which way, and there ain't nobody around nowhere. So I'm, I've paid my moral obligation. I'm going now. Okay? And uh, one of those lights is, <laughs> I hate to tell you, right down the street. God help me, that's the longest red light. And I tell them, I'm going to church, friend. That's what I tell them. A king's business requires haste. <laughs> and I'm in a hurry to get to church. But I do stop, and I do check. But anyway, I'm saying, they put these pilots in these simulations. And, you know, years ago, I used to fly. I went to college for aerospace. And um, I did get my private pilot's license at that time. We're talking a few years back. And, uh, but then, I, you know what? I became a sky pilot. You know what a sky pilot is? sky pilot is a preacher. God called me to preach. And so I didn't care anymore about flying. And uh, I just walked away from it. Didn't even think about it anymore. But I remember uh, my brother-in-law lived in West Palm Beach, and we lived in Miami. I was flying out of Miami, out of Opelok Airport. And I, um, you know, you have to take certain cr uh, cross-country flights and log your flight and helps you to get your license and all that jazz. And so I, um, we went to visit them, and so we flew up to the airport and um, from Miami to West Palm, and and uh, my brother-in-law picked us up. And I asked him, I said, you want to go flying? I'll take you flying. Oh, okay, okay. Big, tough Marine. You know, tough, you know. He'd been in the Marines. He'd been to Vietnam. He'd, he'd done all that stuff and been through boot camp, all kinds of things. And he was just one of those guys you didn't want to mess with. You didn't want him to lose his temper. And so we're in the plane, you know, and hooked up, and I'm going through my run-ups and everything, and I get permission to take off, and I take off. And so we're flying along. And so I'm, I was just going to do what, you know, my instructor had been teaching me to do, and I was to practice to do. And so I just put it into a stall. And suddenly, my big brave brother-in-law is going, oh, "What are you doing? Oh, what are you doing?" I said, "Nothing." And I just fixed it and came out of the stall and went back to flying. I said, "It's just called a stall." Said, Don't do that anymore. Big, tough Marine. Oh, okay, I won't do that anymore. But it was part of training. It was part of what if the time comes and your plane stalls. You need to know what to do. 
and there were different kinds of stalls. There was one even called a, a death spin. You know, and you had to know how to get out of it. And I love that one. You know how you got out of it? You didn't do anything. You just took your hands off the elevator, or the you would call it the steering wheel. Take your hands off the elevator. Take your feet off the rudders. Sit back, and the plane will ride itself. That sounds easy. But when you're looking at the ground and it's spinning, coming at you, you know? Okay. So let me tell you, when your life is out of control and you're in the death spin, if you please, or the stall, your life is stalled on you, I want you to know that a dose of the Holy Ghost is all you need. Don't panic. Listen to what we're telling you. Don't quit the church. Don't throw this under the bus. You have an anchor because God's willing to show you abundantly how much He loves you, how much He cares about you, how much He not only wants you to be saved, but to stay saved. You have an anchor. Sure and steadfast, Jesus never fails. Now, we fail some tests sometimes, but Jesus never fails. I always marvel because when you read about His earthly ministry, you can come in. I read about the way He did things. He always said the right thing. He always did the right thing. What an example He was. I'm like, how do you know when, you know, I mean, I want to turn tables over and I want to make the whip and I want to crack. But sometimes that's not the right thing to do. You know, for sometimes that's that's just bad temper. You know, this is bad temper. What Jesus was displaying was divine authority. And that's what I'm trying to tell you again. What we need is what we often run away from or rebel against. We need that divine authority in our lives. We need that. We need that. And I'll tell you what, when your car is out of control, you're going to want that divine authority. Oh, yeah. You're going to want Jesus to rebuke the death angel when he shows up. You're going to want that voice of authority that will take care of what's wrong and right it for you. You're going to want Him when you come to the brink of hell and you're given a view of the sides of the pit. And you're going to want Jesus to rebuke the destroyer that's come to take you for all of eternity and lock you up with no chance from then on. At that last moment, in that split second, you will want that voice of authority. Because when Jesus says it, that's it. And that's how it needs to be in our lives. You know, Jesus said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And that's how we want it to be. Let's stand together. God love your heart. We have an anchor. You have an anchor this morning. You have something that will give you a, a stability in an unstable time and world. He's made this possible for every one of us. No matter how bad life's been, no matter how mixed up it's been,
No matter how poor and needy you feel, no matter how confused and upset, He's offering you an anchor for your soul. He's offering you something sure. One place said we have the sure mercies of David. Something you can count on. Something you can count on. There's so many things in life that will disappoint you and let you down. People, places, and things will disappoint you and let you down. Circumstances, cross currents, and riptides of life will throw you into bad situations and carry you out to sea and drown you. You ever read about them that trust in uncertain riches and that they do it to themselves? They drowned themselves in those kind of situations. There's many things that we do to ourselves. And that's why we've got to pray and ask Jesus to save us from ourselves. Save us from ourselves. Hey, take a moment with me right now. Would you do it? Lift your heart with your hands. Can you do that this morning? God love your heart. Thank you, Jesus. How much, oh Lord, I need you. I'm confused about the crowd and the people, the pressures of life, the peer pressure of so-called friends, groups. I'm really confused. I'm confused why I can't even get my hands up in the air. I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know why. I, I realize I appear to be stubborn and unbelieving. Help me to only believe. Help me to do. And remember, it's the simplicity. It's not anything difficult that you're asking of me. It's the simplicity of the gospel. You find life is boring, miserable, bottomed out for you. You're unhappy. Do a little inner look. Maybe it's you that you're, you're resisting His will. You're not in the flow. You're not getting in the spirit. You're not being cooperative. Possibly that's what's wrong. And I've seen those symptoms many a time. Dr. Jesus is looking in on you, and he wants to help you. Let's worship the Lord, shall we?